0: everybody and welcome to Super Stonk Brothers number, we're on seven now, right
1: Steve? Holy crap, number seven.
0: (laughs) We made it this far, kind of surprising, but yeah, not not too bad. And today, we're actually going to try something new. We're going to actually talk about four specific articles related to investment, the economy, and so forth. And those four, four articles are, first, Charlie Munger's Daily Journal Buys Alibaba by Yahoo Finance. Second, Jamie Dimon's bond warning isn't like Ray Dalio's, by Bloomberg Opinion. Third, how the Biden capital gains tax proposal would hit the wealthy, by CNBC. And finally, Apple's privacy ad, Armageddon, helps familiar tech giants, by Bloomberg Opinion.
1: How are you doing, Steve? I'm doing good, Macro. How are you, man? (laughs)
0: Doing all right. Yeah. Yeah. Myself, Becker 108, Steve Pally.
1: Yeah. And we're ready to jump into it. We're doing a news medley. I'm so excited. Yeah. I feel like this show is really growing up. Uh, (laughs) We'll do some deep dives. We'll do some medleys. We'll see what people like and uh, we'll go from there. Right. Yeah. One thing I wanted to clarify, I was just rewatching our
0: last episode. And when I, I when I'm explaining something. To the audience, I, I just want the audience to know Steve actually already knows everything I'm talking about. So when I'm explaining <laughs> yeah. something, I'm not explaining it to Steve. I'm actually explaining it to the audience, just, just to be clear.
1: Well, that that actually depends. Uh, <laughs> when it comes to app loving, yeah, I mean we've both dealt with it extensively just in our day jobs. So yeah, we you know I have a little bit more knowledge, but uh, when it comes to other stuff, you're definitely in the driver's seat. Um, so yeah.
0: Well, hope, hopefully we learn from each other. Right? Exactly. There's definitely a lot we can learn. Uh, yep. But. Okay, maybe just jumping into the news and this first article is by Yahoo Finance, who's reporting that the Daily Journal Corporation, which is actually owned by Charlie Munger of famous for Berkshire Hathaway, has made a significant investment into Alibaba at the end of last month, so the end of March, and the holding company now owns 19, well, its portfolio weight in Alibaba is now 19% of the portfolio, which is worth about 37 and a half million. And it also now represents the company's third largest position behind Bank of America and Wells Fargo.
1: Mm.
0: Yahoo also notes that the last significant change to the stock portfolio occurred back in 2014 when it reduced its position in South Korean steel producer, POSCO. Another important note from Yahoo is that Munger is very close friends with Li Lu, who manages the $30 billion Chinese value fund, Himalaya Capital.
1: Interesting. So Charlie Munger obviously is uh, Warren Buffett's right hand dude uh, mm-hmm. at, at Berkshire Hathaway. He has this holding company of his own under his own control called the Daily Journal Corporation, which is a, a weird name for a holding company, but whatever, right? Well, and- I
0: think it's because it was like a newspaper, right? It's like a newspaper company, technology company, and I guess kind of a investment holding company. Of sorts. it is now, yeah. <laughs> and,
1: and the first two uh, holdings are big banks, which is very, very sort of Berkshire Hathaway-like, right? These guys are the ultimate value investors. So what Munger does, and some would argue he does it even better than Warren Buffett, is he finds undervalued companies, buys them at a discount, and then holds them forever. Right, Joe?
0: Yeah. 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 As you know, I'm a huge proponent of holding forever. It's it's one of the biggest lessons I've learned from just making so many mistakes, trying to think that I'm smarter than the market. I think the key, a a huge key to being successful is really like having a fundamental understanding of what key theses are, like how will the future unfold, but not being a stickler for timing, like holding against a thesis
1: and letting the market play out, like taking we're just, taking emotions out of it, right? Basically,
0: yeah. Again, we're just like as human beings, we just are not smart enough to be able to predict timing. I think it's much easier to pre- predict trends, but timing is something that's hard to predict. Mm-hmm. And so, for the purpose of not being able to predict timing, as well as for tax implications, holding oh my forever,
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: holding forever <laughs> is the right strategy.
1: Yeah, I found that out uh, paying taxes this past week or two on 2020. (laughs) 2020 was, uh, shall we call it a crap show um, from a uh, capital gain standpoint. Um, So holding forever or at least a year is a really good idea. And maybe we'll have a mistakes episode uh for, for our greatest investing mistakes at some point in the future because I'd love to talk about how that was. Oh, went. <laughs> you,
0: you took a short-term capital gains hit on that?
1: A little bit. <laughs> okay, yeah. <Ouch>. A <laughs> little bit. And then you get caught in this vicious cycle where you need to like take you need to sell more stuff in order to cover your your tax hit, right? And it just yeah. goes from there. It can get pretty nasty. Anyway, please continue.
0: Okay. Well, as someone who's worked in China before, and for a Chinese company, I you got to think that, I mean, it's not the same. China is a little bit of a different con- type of country with different norms around information sharing in particular. Mm-hmm. And so in China, the typical guards against inside information is not the same. And so you got to think if Munger is friends with Li Lu, there's probably some information I, look, I, I, I'm not saying Munger has inside information, but I'm just saying it's not like the. US. And even in the. US, like people really underestimate the impact of inside information. It happens all the time. I I've, I've received inside information that I could have traded on multiple times and you know it's it's just a part of what happens. But in particular China. And so I think that when you think about dollar devaluation, one of the key things that you really have to think about is how do you protect yourself against dollar devaluation china should be one of the best strategies that should be considered now whether mm-hmm. it's i mean you know we've talked about bitcoin before we've talked about gold before but i think you, you really have to have more international exposure if you're thinking international i mean the other the only other country of significance is china so i think that in order to have china exposure you know, I initially invested in in uh in Alibaba because of Ray Dalio and I saw what Ray Dalio is doing. And so if you've got both Ray Dalio and Munger making big bets on Alibaba, and it's a great time to buy Alibaba, in my opinion, just because of all the, the government crackdowns on Jack Ma and all that kind of stuff yeah. have depressed the stock. The you know, the delay of the ant financial IPO and the potential impact to the valuation. So I do think that if you're not in China, maybe you might want to consider something like Alibaba. I'm, you know, if if I had more capital to deploy, I would be looking at, you know, uh, you know biotech stocks. I would be looking at uh, Alibaba.
1: Additional Baba, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's uh it that makes perfect sense to me. Um, and we know that Munger looks for undervalued companies companies whose valuation has been depressed, maybe uh, for short term reasons. And we know that the Chinese government has gone after Jack Ma personally, recently for comments he made, I guess, six months ago now, um, about how Ant Financial was going to revolutionize um, sort of the state run banks and the Chinese financial sector. And the Chinese Communist Party really, really did not like hearing that. (laughs) And so it looks as though uh, they admonished Jack Ma, and there is a chance that they're going to remove him from control of Ant Financial, which is obviously bad for Ant. And it you know it delayed Ant's IPO and all of that on the New York Stock Exchange. We'll see whether or not that goes forward. The point is that some of that contagion, some of that bad feeling, that bad mojo ended up all over Alibaba, which is a separate business, right? And so it's probably not fair. Baba is still a good business. Like, you know, Jack Ma is in trouble with the Chinese government, but is the Chinese government going to come in and shut down Alibaba? Almost certainly not, right? They, they need it. It's a tentpole. It's it's kind of a national champion. In fact, it's the Chinese Amazon, uh, mm-hmm. is the way a lot of people describe it. So even if bad things happen to Ant Financial or, or Jack Ma, uh, I think Munger is making the point, hey, you know, this is still a good business. And whatever happened to the stock price over the past six months is not really indicative of what it's actually worth right. uh, from an well, underlying they, perspective.
0: They they are tied to the extent that Alibaba owns a big chunk of Ant sure. financial. So, but yeah, yeah. I, tol- I totally agree. And I think that, you know, this may be a rare opportunity to get into Alibaba at these prices, assuming, you know, depending on how things play out. So yeah, and definitely your- worth looking at.
1: Yeah, to your point as a dollar hedge, I mean the next article we're going to talk about is, is about inflation and dollar devaluation. Yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. I agree that China is a great place to go. Um I own a couple Chinese ETFs, or you can go concentrated, uh, like like Macro has. Um, just depends on your <laughs> your your preference yeah. and your risk profile. Um yeah. there there is another currency of significance, and that's the euro, um which I think yeah. is less risky in some ways and more risky in others. Um But uh, yeah, I mean, all three major currencies, whether that's Remnant B or Euro or US dollar, now have major risk profiles attached to them.
0: Let's say Alibaba goes down 15% and then the dollar devalued by 90%. Right.
1: (laughs) right. It's kind of a wash, right? (laughs) Yeah. Or magnifier, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you.
0: All right. Moving on to the next article. You want to take this one?
1: absolutely um so this article is uh about Jamie Dimon's uh sort of annual shareholder shareholder letter to uh the shareholders of JP Morgan which is the largest US bank Jamie Dimon is this guy who looks like a politician or a movie star he's he's the biggest banker in the United States and by some measures therefore the world and he's kind of like the the chairman of the entire finance industry um, in the United States, and he warned about American debt, uh, American treasury bonds uh, in his shareholder letter to J.P. Morgan. So that's a big deal. And another billionaire tycoon, Ray Dalio, has also been talking about uh, the performance of American debt and what he thinks about American debt. Uh, So when two billionaires of this magnitude basically uh, come together and start Talking about how they don't think American debt is priced properly, that's potentially a very big deal for the entire world. So I thought I would dive into it, right? Uh and specifically in this letter, uh Diamond wrote that quote unquote, it's hard to justify the price of US debt, seemingly agreeing with this other guy, Ray Dalio, who we talk about a lot, right? Very famous investor, Bridgewater Capital, who has said the economics of investing in bonds has become stupid. And <laughs> Uh, I prepared a little visual aid here. Yeah, scroll up here. Here's what he had to say. I have little doubt that with excess savings, new stimulus savings, huge deficit spending, more quantitative easing, a new potential infrastructure bill, a successful vaccine and euphoria around the end of the pandemic, the US economy will likely boom, Right, just because of all of this cash and all of this pent-up demand pouring into the marketplace. This boom could easily run into 2023, because all the spending could extend well into 2023. In this boom scenario, it's hard to justify the price of US debt. Most people consider the 10-year bond as the key reference point for US debt. This is because of two factors. First, the huge supply of debt that needs to be absorbed. And second, the not unreasonable possibility that an increase in inflation will not be just temporary. And he goes on to say, All of these buyers, meaning potential buyers of treasury debt, uh, of the United States, sovereign debt, will seek out alternatives. And there are always some if they become worried about the long-term sustainable value of treasury bonds. And remember, annual inflation is already running at 1.7%. So that's a clear warning. And I thought that it would make sense to unpack it because this is potentially a very big deal for the future of the country and the markets. So, here's a little primer on sovereign debt math 101, uh, which is this like uh, bond math is way more complicated um, than it is made out to be here. I'm just talking about a few different aspects of what Diamond is talking about. Um, And so, when it comes to the relationships of how much debt is in the market and kind of what happens to the price uh, and other factors, um, this is kind of how those causal relationships work. First of all, here, can you zoom in a little bit? Yes. When the debt supply goes up, the price of existing debt goes down and the yield goes up just because of supply and demand, right? Um, Other things equal, uh, if demand uh, stays the same and you increase supply, the price goes down, right? And if the price goes down, the yield, the percentage yield uh, that a debt instrument uh, returns uh, is just The interest payment over the principal price paid, right? If the price lowers, that's the denominator on that ratio lowering, which means that the yield naturally goes up. And if the yield goes up, that means that other things equal, the US is on the hook for more money on a unit basis uh, to get that debt sold in the future, right? Uh, The US does not want to see yields go up, right, Joe? That's very bad because it means that they have to pay back more and more. Um, Furthermore, When the debt supply goes up, the yield goes up for another reason, right? Which is just that the default risk goes up of the United States. Now, the default risk of the United States is not very high at all. Um, If you go to what's called the sovereign debt credit default swap market, and that's a mouthful, this is just a fancy sort of uh, financial instrument whereby traders bet on the possibility of a sovereign default. Um, For all these different countries, right? The United States is one of them, and right now it's basically sub one percent over the next ten years, which is a low risk, but it's not zero, notably. And as we spend more and more money, as that debt supply goes up, um, just like any other creditor, the public uh, people who are might consider buying this debt for a return start to look askance, right? Because You know, the more debt that you take out, the more of a credit risk you become. It's it's just like um, you know, going to the bank and asking for a loan. It's like, well, how much debt do you have outstanding? You know, when are we going to get paid back? Are we going to be first or last if you default? Right? Your risk goes up, which means the yields have to go up as well. Um, and then finally, um if spending goes up, so uh you know, this is what Diamond's talking about with the stimulus bill, with quantitative easing and so on. Uh, we're just going to spend, what is it, $1.9 trillion, um on the American Rescue Plan? And the infrastructure bill is another $2.2 trillion. Do I have that right, Joe? It's Some... into the trillions, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't, um, I don't know the exact numbers. But... A
1: lot of spending, a lot of obligations. Uh, that leads to a rising yield as well because inflation goes up. And when inflation goes up, recall that the real return of a debt instrument is basically that yield minus inflation, right? So investors, debt investors, if I'm going to buy your debt, I want that yield to go up just to compensate me in that race against inflation. Um, And if money is pouring into the economy, inflation is going to go up, right? So uh, you see these relationships. This is what Diamond is talking about. Um, All three of those yield arrows are pointed up. Okay, And the United States really doesn't want that to happen. Um, and so <clears throat> the risk is uh, that the yield goes up while the debt supply increases and the debt becomes unpayable, resulting in a sovereign debt default, and/or hyperinflation and/or loss of reserve currency status. And this is what Ray Dalio thinks we're headed for, right? Uh, basically catastrophe for the United States and a changing of the uh, reserve currency guard. Uh, It's kind of the Argentina scenario. This happens repeatedly to developing countries. Uh, They get unsustainable debt. um, They default on their obligations. The yields go too high. They can't pay back. And then they have to do a hard reset with austerity, sometimes a new currency, and it starts all over again, right? Argentina, like this has happened repeatedly to Argentina. And Dalio sees this in the United States' future. And I think you do too, right, Joe?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I see inflation as a is a huge risk. I, you know, I'm a big proponent of Dalio. I would say that the one thing in terms of like the yield question though is like really about demand, right? And so mm-hmm. to to me, the big question is so right now the the US government is stepping in and filling the <laughs> any unmet demand.
1: De- debt monetization, right?
0: Yeah. So, let, so the question, really, to me is: is there is this an unlimited capability to like issue treasury, and then the government comes in and buys any unmet demand? Yeah. Can that continue forever? Is that unlimited? That's something I don't
1: know. Well, so the you- answer is yes in the case of the United States because it enjoys reserve currency status. However what that entails, what debt monetization entails is printing money and injecting it into the economy, right? Because you're just constantly printing money and handing it over to the Fed, right? <laughs> it's like yeah. the treasury is just printing so- money and buying debt. And then that goes into the, the larger economy through the banking system. Um, and unless you do sort of um, fiscal dominance or financial repression, so yield cur- curve control and stuff like that, this is going to result in inflation, Like pretty much no matter what.
0: So then, if we if we assume that scenario, that means there will be massive inflation, which is my underlying assumption that this is a scenario I believe is going to happen. Right now, if they can't, if they don't buy that debt, and this is what's kind of being priced into the, what has been being priced into the market, and and the 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 other school of thought is that interest rates are going to increase because people think that the government isn't going to buy the excess. Debt or something. I and, and so then that that's why there was this kind of sector rotation into value stocks away from growth because people thought interest rates were gonna go up. Right. And I don't that that part I don't understand well enough. Neither I, do I. I. I, I, <laughs> I don't understand that school of thought.
1: Yeah. So, Bond math is really, really complicated. Like I've drawn some some basic arrows and flow charts here, but like the real sort of flow chart when you talk about the uh, sovereign debts relationship to like the broader economy and global trade and all of this stuff. It, it's like a spaghetti chart where everything connects to everything else and everything causes everything else. So it's way more complicated than I've laid out here. I'm just talking about what Diamond is talking about sure. and what Dahlia has been talking about in this, in this article. Right. Now, Diamond has a different idea though. He in, Later in his shareholder letter, he says, you know, being the optimist that we are, we believe that there's a Goldilocks scenario. Um, it's still possible for the United States to avoid sort of this Dalio Argentina scenario. It's sovereign debt default. Um, and the way you do that is you use that spending, you leverage that spending, you spend on the right stuff and you have just enough inflation to reduce the debt such that economic growth as a result of productive investment, tax uh, plus tax receipts exceeding growth in debt, right? Um so you raise taxes a little bit, you, uh, you grow the economy. Um, so basically you get more tax receipts. you can outrun the debt that way. Um, plus rising yields uh, can result in uh, the Goldilocks scenario, right?
0: yeah, the I think the problem right now with the Goldilocks scenario is that we're not seeing so that assumption of investing into production, yeah productive assets, that that's the big thing where I am a little bit skeptical. skeptical. Now, there, there is a move, and we talked about this before during our inflation talk, mm-hmm. that there is repatriation of production back to the US. And that's going to happen slowly. I, I just think that can all of that happen fast enough, as well as investing into things that will increase production for the US, so that we don't have as big of a deficit as we currently do. But when you look at from a deficit perspective, we're heading in the wrong direction right now. I mean, yeah. as, as a country.
1: Yeah. So I think I mean, it's really difficult to argue otherwise. Uh, I agree <laughs> with you. The question is do you believe that the administration is spending money on the right stuff? Are they spending the money on productive investments that will result in longer term growth such that we can outrun? this like debt service scenario that results in default, right?
0: I think Biden, and now I think we can't avoid talking about stock investment, the economy without talking about politics. I actually do think Biden at the high level is doing the right right things from, Mm -hmm. in in terms of some of the, the spending in terms of green tech, clean energy, things of that nature. That's the right move. Yeah. But, you know, how fast we'll be able to see the fruits of that. The other thing he's doing is he's trying to invest in education, right? Which is right. we absolutely
1: need to do that. That's- yeah, it's like a free community college for everybody, right? That seems like a good idea. So as an investor though, for a long time, like a really basic and really effective investment strategy was to invest in 60/40 portfolio, right? 60% equities, so stocks like Alibaba or whatever else, Tesla, 40% debt. Right, So this could be corporate debt. It could be treasuries. It could be foreign debt. All of them are related to that underlying treasury interest rate, though. And stocks and bonds are correlated in negative direction. right? So when stocks go up, uh, bonds go down and vice versa. So that was a really nice sort of all-weather portfolio. And in fact, Ray Dalio made his name initially by developing this portfolio style, uh, as I understand it, right? He was one of the first proponents. Yeah, he has
0: something called an all-weather portfolio type. Yeah,
1: and it it relies on bond investment. And now he's saying investing in bonds is stupid, quote unquote. And Diamond's kind of saying the same thing. It's like, it's hard to justify this price, like given where where we think uh, yields are going to go, right?
0: Yeah, and I think (laughs) I actually was just watching a YouTube interview with of Charlie Munger yesterday where he yes. was saying that over the next 10 years that um equities returns in general are going to underperform on a real basis, right? In yes. real terms. So yes. and I think when you see some of the longer term trends like we've we've had this massive bull market for the past, you know, 30 40 however many years. Yeah. And and part of the part of the big change that has occurred is everyone then is just doing, you know, passive index investment, which right. then, but that has a problem too, right? Because now everything's, everything's getting invested into. So there's no, like, I, I think, there's no alpha. Oh, <laughs> I, and I think Michael Brewery calls it like price discovery, right? Like, everything, yeah. Also and, true. Yeah. And, 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 and so I do think that uh, and not not to go too off topic on this but uh but because of some of the big macro things that are happening that the overall returns on equities without a differentiated you know what i would argue for a concentrated differentiated strategy it's going to be hard to make alpha yeah. additional a- additional return
1: and as far as holding debt you know like i've liquidated all of my debt positions i had some fairly substantial debt positions um it's you know, like uh coming into this year but just reading stuff like this it's like the price of that debt's going to go down a lot right um uh, the only oh. way it could go up is um if interest rates were to fall <laughs> and interest rates are already as low as they can go right um so it's just it's just not a good move to hold debt but now i'm sitting on this cash It's like well what do i do do i invest in in equities do i invest in bitcoin
0: right now it would be great to like buy buy a house buy a yeah. whatever yeah. and Real get assets, as much yeah. yeah and 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 having debt on your house is good
1: yes like, it absolutely yeah. yeah um eventually like lenders are catching on to this right they see inflation rising so they're going to yeah. require higher rates for that reason but it, like it seems to lag inflation because measurements of inflation are artificially depressed right yeah. And these lenders have to go off of whatever the government says in most cases. So, yeah, now is a good time to buy real assets, but I'm lazy and I don't want to do that. So, you know, maybe I buy ETFs or stocks that invest in condos or housing or farmland or stuff like that, yeah. right? Real assets.
0: Right. Um, and just going back to the article, I would say that I would highly recommend actually going through and reading Jamie Dimon's shareholder mm-hmm. letter. I mean, there's some like, typical kind of fluff and marketing there, but some good parts, excellent section on leadership, I would highly recommend people in the audience read that part. And then he raises some issues that we should be aware of. For example, he talks about the rise of shadow banking and fintech relative Mm. to the size of US and European banks. And that unlike the banks, the, the shadow stuff And the fintech stuff, there's a lack of regulation on those sides. So this is kind of out of scope of our current discussion, but probably worth talking about in the future. And then that section about COVID-19 and the economy, which was the focus of the article, I think it is worth going through all of the points and notes that he makes. A couple of things that did stand out to me was that there was mentioned that in 2020, so last year, the Federal Reserve did buy essentially 100% of all new issuance of treasury notes and bonds, meaning that-
1: that's, yeah, that's, that that
0: demand, right? <laughs> like the demand wasn't there, so the yeah, lied. that's
1: monetization right there. Yeah. yeah, exactly.
0: And then in 2021, Jamie Dimon notes that the Fed's current QE commitments. Well, here he says the market will have to absorb 2.2 trillion in government debt, right? Approximately 85 percent of which will be in longer duration maturities, right? So, yeah, and and then we talked about the 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 point being that. We'll see what happens, but understanding where this is going to go will have a huge impact in terms of whether we see more inflation or if interest rates are able to go up, yeah, do go up because of lack of demand. And if the government can't absorb the additional debt, then we should see a stock market crash. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Great. <laughs> then you're going to want to own all the houses. Yeah. <laughs> um.
0: Yeah. And I I would say like, and then in terms of the inflation scenario, like a few things to think about is like, what can the government actually do to stop inflation? Well, I mean, so once we could try and stop spending so much, but is that realistic in the current time with all the stuff happening in our economy?
1: No, both political parties are now all about spending to the maximum. So Yeah. So
0: I don't think that's a realistic possibility. Second would be to find a way to spend more efficiently, the government, both the federal government and state governments are notorious for wasting massive amounts of money. But I think that the ability to have enough transparency and to be able to affect controls on government spending is just too tough, but that would Mm -hmm. be a possibility. There was a video that went viral where Katie Porter was (laughs) was ripping a big oil lobbyist and she pointed out that big oil received $30 billion in federal subsidies in 2020, which then got turned back around in $139 million in political donations to Republicans and $111 million in lobbying. Mm-hmm. And so you can see, like, because of this sort of, you know, this sort of scenario, we're, we're going to just continue to see a lot of wasted money <laughs> that goes out in various forms. Right. I think the third area would be helping fund new industries that will generate more production to the point that we talked about earlier.
1: Right. And this is what Diamond's talking about, right? Like if you choose correctly, right? If you subsidize the right things and you have the right policies, then you can actually outgrow this scenario. But you are it's like Indiana Jones with the frickin' rock trap, right?
0: Yeah. You got to stay I, ahead th- of it. I, I think the other thing to do, and we talked about this before, is like, can you- fundamentally, one of the biggest problems we have in this country is that our education system is broken, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I know, so, I, and I I mentioned before, I'm not a huge fan of Biden, but I do think this is an area where he's trying to do the right thing, right? Mm-hmm. So he's trying to fund education and divert more money there. And I think the other, the final thing is, you know, increase taxes. And so we'll talk about this next, but uh, Biden's latest uh, tax proposal plan is to increase taxes for the top one percent or 0.3 percent and those are the different things that could potentially happen i but given all of that i gotta think that you know we're there is just not enough that's possible or that can be done to stop inflation i i think it gets gets away from us
1: a definite possibility yeah i, I would agree with that and diamond Agrees with that. He's like, there's a Goldil- Goldilocks scenario that we're hoping for and we believe is still possible. Um, <laughs> but there are other scenarios too that are not so great, you know? Yeah. So anyway, what are we what are we talking about next?
0: Okay, next. So related to what we're just talking about, but CNBC is reporting that President Biden is expected to propose doubling
1: uh yes long-term
0: capital gains tax. And under the uh under the proposal, the rate could be as high as 43.4 percent. And just for clarification for our audience so long-term cap- capital gains means when you sell a stock if you sold your stock in after holding it for less than a year
1: short you, term don't yeah, do it
0: Short-term <laughs> capital gains you get taxed as ordinary income so whatever your normal federal income tax bracket is that's the tax on your gains.
1: Don't be me. Don't get a nasty <laughs> surprise <laughs> from your accountant.
0: <laughs> but if you hold it for longer than a year, then it'll be either, you know, 15 or 20%. Mm-hmm. So the proposal by Biden is that that the, the long-term capital gains rate would be jacked up from, you know, 15 or 20 to a top proposed rate of 39 39%, 39.6%, but for those with income of more than $1 million. And yeah. my take on this is that there are like so many Silicon Valley douchebags that are just getting so hella bent out of shape over this. And, can, we, and, and,
1: uh, can we print t-shirts with Silicon Valley <laughs> douchebag on it? Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that would sell really well. So, so, uh, catchphrase.
0: Yeah, so a couple of things here. First, if you follow the macro 108 investment strategy, which is to hold forever, mm-hmm. long-term capital gains literally don't matter. Right, like just don't sell. And if you need liquidity, just get a portfolio line of credit. And so for example, Mm. you know M1 Finance is a program called M1 Borrow where you basically get a line of credit for up to 35% of your portfolio, your portfolio value at rates as low as 2%. So you're paying two, 3% against 35% of your portfolio. So Mm. if you buy and hold forever, the tax won't affect you. And again, not to get too political, but I feel like this issue is making a lot of people rather irrational. And so mm-hmm. it kind of shows to me just how good Republican the Republican Party is at marketing. Like they have <laughs> somehow convinced people, not even Silicon Valley douchebags, but people who don't even have a net worth of a million dollars. Yeah,
1: right? not even close, right? That
0: for an issue where that requires making more than a million dollars in a single year. That this issue is destroying our country, and it's like it's in the, like the woke left, ultra liberal, socialist, democratic party is destroying AOC. our country. Yeah, Bernie Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like and look, I I'm not a fan of either party, but this is just ridiculous, right?
1: Yeah. And, also. And like all this does is raise taxes on investment income for r- people who are really rich to the same level that wages are taxed at. <laughs> yes, yeah, and, so, and,
0: and this is this is a policy that literally affects three people out of a thousand. Yes, but the dogma and confusion around this is just really, really crazy. And like we've got people who are like, "Oh yeah, this is going to cause so much I- inflation because." Nobody's gonna be incentivized to save anymore. Like they're just gonna spend, they're just gonna spend all their money because they they have no incentive to save. But it's like
1: no, really? they have more incentive to hold, right? <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense. So who
0: is this gonna impact? And so, like for me, while my heart goes out to like the hundred millionaire <laughs> who's selling his stock to buy his private jet, or the yeah, billionaire rough, who's selling his stock to 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 own their their own sports team or island, yeah. Look, you know, my heart goes out to those guys, but honestly, this is this is stupid. Like, and these people who are talking about how this is turning us into a socialist country are just—it's so ridiculous.
1: Well, they're they're just they're paid liars, right? And they're trying to fire up their base. What this does to me is just restore balance, right? We we need we need public goods in this country. We need to pay for education. And this is a lot more responsible than yeah. simply printing money, right? This will claw back $350 billion or something, which is not that much over the course of 10 years, but like, you know, cushion some of the blow and it restores some confidence in the United States from external investors who are like, oh, you're not just printing money. You're actually raising taxes on rich people too, right? That's what they want to see, if you ask me.
0: Yeah. So anyway, I but I do think that to my point, really like Republican party. So good at marketing. Right? Yeah. You're right. <laughs> like, you know, uh, I mean, these, these terms now in terms of the woke left, the socialist party, cancel culture. And so like giving these labels applied to things to prevent a discussion from happening. Right. It's just, yeah. Oh, we're going to label it. We're going to label these things.
1: Yeah. You they're know, very good at appealing to emotions. Right. And right. right with right. these like, and, and, Trump was really good at this too. He was really good at labeling stuff in a very simple, emotional way, coming up with catchphrases. Right? Yeah.
0: Let me be fair. Like, I hate the Democratic Party for being so <laughs> wasteful and corrupt at the at the city and, and and state level. Yeah. And and I'll call them out for that. But this is this is just ridiculous. <laughs> like all the anger and vitriol and hate about this is just crazy.
1: Yeah. I think. Hopefully, what happened was Biden's team did an analysis of all the people that are going to get hit by this, and they realized that many of them are already GOPers, right? So they had already lost them anyway. And the other people that are currently Democrats that are going to get hit by this are very unlikely to go to the GOP at this point because the parties are so far apart on practically every issue. There's so much polarization, right? So they're probably anticipating not a lot of net impact in terms of donations or in terms of votes from this. And what this does do is it does fire up the populist left for sure. Like AOC is going to love this. Bernie is going to love this. Even if it's not being done for them as such, it's being done for the good of the country, right? Um, Like they can take this and run with it to their base, which is like sizable and really highly motivated yeah. and will turn out in 2022, right? I think that's the bet.
0: Well, I, I will say that I do think that Biden trying to address debt is a good thing. Like yeah. debt is just getting way out of control. Yeah, And at some point, even with 0% rate of interest, like it, it's, it's a matter of the size of servicing the debt level of the country, right? There's at some point, it's going to just destroy this country if the servicing level gets too high. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to have to inflate like crazy to like reduce the real cost of that. And and so, and then we we wind up with a Ray Dalio scenario. So
1: this like is that. not going to affect investors like you or I, I don't think. Yeah. Um, and
0: either way, if you invest forever,
1: yeah, you're not going to get
0: invested, you're not going to get affected anyway.
1: Yeah. So or next to forever, (laughs) right? (laughs) Depending. Cool, and then we have one last article to discuss, right, Joe? Yep. And this is Apple's privacy ad Armageddon helps familiar tech giants by Take Him. And this is another Bloomberg opinion piece. And we made reference to the privacy uh, privacy moves on Apple's part uh, last week as part of our App 11 breakdown. Um, And so, we wanted to close with something that's a little bit less big picture and more small picture, I guess, Um, which is, again, this kind of bears on our particular uh, experience in the mobile games business and a lot of companies that we're familiar with, right? So, we can talk about it a little bit more in depth. Um, So, iOS 14.5 is coming out on Monday the 25th, I believe. Uh, and with it, it's, it's going to, it will come a new privacy framework um, whereby every app will now have to ask user permission in order to track data, user data across uh, uh, apps um, to ad networks. And this is a really big deal because um, if, a, if a player or a user of an app opts out, it breaks the data link between AdWorks and advertisers, resulting in worse targeting and lower overall effectiveness. And we talked about this last week in relation to App 11. And a lot of estimates out there are assuming very high levels of opt-out, which I think is correct. Um, Online dating app Bumble Incorporated cautioned in its prospectus that more than 80% of users may decide to opt-out while Snap Incorporated acknowledged this past Thursday that Apple's changes... Were an important milestone. It could significantly affect how they work with advertisers. Now, the all of that said, though, um, the the kind of thrust of this article is that um, you'd think that this move is aimed squarely at Facebook and Google, right? Um, by Apple, because those are competitors and they're the biggest advertisers uh, that sort of interact with the App Store uh, ecosystem. And so breaking the flow of data to and from Facebook and Google and these third-party apps should be extremely painful. But a Bank of America analysis uh, has indicated that it'll only hurt Facebook's revenue by something like 3%. It's gonna be a lot less significant than people think. And furthermore, Facebook and Google both own gigantic and expanding walled gardens and Apple's changes don't affect data moving around on a first-party basis. Uh, for instance, between the Facebook app, WhatsApp, and Instagram, all of which are published by Facebook, right? And of course, Google has all of its um, work apps, for instance, right? It's still totally fine to shuttle data in between those apps. Um, And meanwhile, demand for advertising isn't just going to disappear, right? Especially uh, for e-commerce and stuff like that. So advertisers are still going to want to advertise uh, in these apps for their products. Um, And if you're able to buy stuff directly on Instagram, for instance, this will actually help Facebook in the long run because it destroys the competition. Um, And what this really does, and again, we talked about this in reference to App Levin, which is growing a gigantic walled garden as quickly as possible. Facebook, Google, and the other big players will be incentivized to internalize everything as quickly as possible, and they have the resources to do so right? They're the biggest companies in the world, and they're just going to get bigger. And so the question I'm asking is, does this mean, in fact, the rich just get richer? Um, And if that's the case, how does this affect your interest or lack thereof in big stocks like Apple, Facebook, and Alphabet or Google? Um, What do you think, Joe?
0: I mean, I do think that Apple clearly becomes a winner. Like you have, when you think of the margin in the app ecosystem that mm-hmm. Facebook and Google were taking, it was a huge bite. Right? Yeah, like and huge, we all have to
1: pay it. It's a tax, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, and so based upon the machine learning based approaches to ad targeting, like uh, AEO, via for, for people in our audience, that specific form of targeting ate up so much margin. You basically had... A lot of app developers or game companies that were spending to the max and were barely or even slightly negative in terms of profitability. Right. Whereas Facebook and Google were just eating up all that margin. Right. So, so now where does that margin flow? Now, that margin probably, I'm hoping, flows back to developers, flows back to consumers. And you got to think it's going to, you know, Apple's going to be taking a big piece of it too. Yeah,
1: here's the thing: Apple has its own ad network, uh, and yeah. it's not applying its its own rules to its own network, from That's what right. we can tell. Yeah. <laughs> so, this is this is extremely dirty pool, and it, it also gives them a really nice story around privacy, right? Because they're treating Facebook and Google like big tobacco, and they're saying, "Come buy Apple devices; like you won't be subject to being followed around the internet and bothered." buy these targeted ads, right? Like, come enjoy your privacy on our platform. And it's like, well, sort of, except that you're actually expanding advertising on your platform and you're just taking the money yourself, you know? So it's it's pretty hypocritical, but also I think a great business move. What do you think about Facebook and Google though?
0: I do think that the B of A analysis, I mean... I don't know where they got that 3%. I don't know how they didn't. I didn't probably, read the
1: article. Yeah. Probably
0: better to, to dive deeper into how they actually did that analysis. But I did see other analysis that showed kind of the amount of money that Facebook and Google were making after the adoption or after the rollout of AEO and VO, which mm-hmm. seemed massive. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I was like, I was looking at some of those charts and I was like, holy shit, that's a lot of money that. Yeah, man. And, yeah. and a lot of additional revenue. So, I would be surprised if it's only 3%. I mean, yeah. may, maybe Facebook, I don't know, may, maybe the size of their, but you got to think a lot of their, a lot of their revenue came from mobile ads, right? So I don't know. I, I would be surprised if it's 3%, but again, I haven't looked into the the details of that. So, I mean, on, on the on the face of it, you got to think it's positive for, for Apple, negative for Facebook and Google. And yeah. I mean, exactly how much it's hard to say, you know, the, the other potential loser here would be, uh, companies like unity, uh, unity yes. derives over half of its revenue from, from ads. So do yeah. ad CPMs decrease? Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe not.
1: They need to, they need their own wall garden, right. They need to do the app Eleven thing and, uh, become a publisher. <laughs> and like, you know, you already are developing using our, our technology now join our platform. Right. Um, and that's probably what the where, where they will go next.
0: You know, that might be actually speaking with respect to unity if they mm-hmm. if they became a a place sure. where where you where they actually had like, you know, stored you know, data mm-hmm. like whether they became a publisher or whether they were able to store enough user data under a single account so that we could use IDFV somehow. Mm-hmm. Then yeah, I, I definitely think this could be a net positive for, so it could be negative for Unity, but if they figured out if they figured out a loophole, <laughs> uh, then it might actually be positive for them. I, well. I think
1: they can, yeah. I mean, like they they have analytics um in Unity. They're not very good, right? But like they could they can push some chips there. Um yeah, and and then I, develop their own, you know, in ecosystem ad network. Um, if,
0: if there was, and for any developer using Unity, if you could just, you know, click a button and it says, okay, I opt into this or whatever, yeah. and <laughs> just handle all of my marketing, just, just
1: handle all of my marketing, um, all of my UA, all of my analytics, just take all of that off my plate. That actually makes a lot of sense. I think that would be a pretty compelling value proposition for a lot of developers who just don't want to do any live ops and don't understand it because it's really hard. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, as for Facebook and Google, I don't own either stock. I I am ethically against both of them. Really? Uh, I, yeah, I am. Google? I div- yeah, Google too. Uh, Google's not as bad as Facebook, but I think they're even more powerful, uh, which bothers me. I divested from both basically last year and okay. I, I don't use any facebook platforms and i try not to use google like i'm i'm on the brave browser <laughs> instead of chrome <laughs> and obviously i still use gmail i like i have to for work but yeah, uh, yeah I, I reached the conclusion that social networks were bad for me personally bad for the country and bad for the world um okay. so i try to i try to talk my book right, right. Um, okay
0: yeah i mean i don't use facebook but i do believe that Alpha Fold is a big deal. So I do own sure. a fair amount of Alphabet. Sure. And sure. Um, I don't know. I, I I do think that has that's that's one of my, you know, that's that's one of my core holdings, actually. Yeah. I,
1: the other thing we'll, to we'll note is happens. that Google owns its own competing platform. It owns Android, right? So they can do whatever they want over there. They'll do something with privacy, um, but they're yeah. likely to gain in the short term. Just um, on an adjusted basis against Apple, they may take some market share uh, from develop from developers because you can do UA still on Google. Yeah, that's true. Uh, So,
0: yeah. So actually probably positive for Google.
1: Yeah. Short-term hit longer term gain, I think. Uh, Mm -hmm. And same goes with Facebook um, because Facebook has that incredibly powerful ecosystem. They're really good at stealing other people's ideas and turning them into their own apps quickly. They're trying to do with clubhouse right now. Um, And that, strategy will just get more and more aggressive, I assume, um, as a result of this.
0: Yeah. All right.
1: We're at one hour. Hey, (laughs) not
0: bad. All right. Well, there you have it. Our new format here. Uh, If you guys like it, let us know in the comments. Otherwise, we'll see y'all later. Bye. Thank
1: you. Bye.